1: I can't edit TikToks by myself yet, so things in my campaign office that just make sense. Green New Deal posters, union
0: hats. Hi, I'm Daisy Rosario.
2: And I'm Natish Powa. You're listening to Icy YMI,
0: In case you missed it.
2: Slate's podcast about internet culture.
0: Hi, Natish. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Daisy. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. As you can already tell, Rachel is out today. Feel better, Rachel. She's sick, guys. Don't worry, though, it's not COVID. Uh, But not to worry in general, because we have got a great show in store. One of our incredible Slate colleagues is here. Natish is here. Natish is an associate writer for business and tech, so he has a very different job here than I do. Natisha, what's it been like for you experiencing this election online as someone who's spending their days covering it?
2: It is like, you, you know what it's like going down a rabbit hole that you know is a bad idea? Yes. And that you know will suck you in for hours on end. And it just, like, the information keeps getting worse. Yes. And you're still plunging downward.
0: My ADHD loves to do that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So <laughs> imagine that, but... A bunch of times over for different states, different races. It's not great. I don't know how I've been getting through it, but I'm doing my best.
0: Oh, well, bless you. I mean, I hope that when you are Having to go through this stuff, you're also finding enough of like the little joys that do exist on the internet to counteract that. Um, But since we are just a few days away from the midterms, today we are going to be discussing all the ways that the internet gets tangled up during election season. Because no matter your affiliations, even if you're apolitical, no matter what particular year it is, it is hard not to notice a shift in life online when we are close to an election. We're gonna get into candidates and misinformation on TikTok, Elon Musk's Twitter takeover, and the far-right social networks that we don't really want to have to touch. We'll be getting into all of that after this short break. And we are back. We're going to start by talking about TikTok. But first, before we get into like the election political aspects of TikTok, Natish, what is your general feeling about TikTok? Like, are you somebody who's on there in general? Do you like to watch it? Have you ever done a dance? Like, what's your TikTok life?
2: Yeah, I'm an extreme TikTok lurker. I have never posted on the platform or done a dance, but. I find it such a weird world that it's never, like, sucked me in as much as it has a lot of other people I know who, okay. like, scroll for hours on end. Yeah. But every time I go on there, it's like, all right, what, what am I going to see? All right, a few jokes, few, uh, a <laughs> few, few memes. Uh, yeah. Ooh, let's check out the song later. So, right. Uh, or even just, like, you know, I follow a lot of people who have very weird jobs or they're part of like van life or something like that. And it's always <laughs> yeah, fun, uh, you know, going along with their adventures.
0: Are there any candidates that you've seen really, you know, using TikTok correctly? Because I mean, each each social media platform really has its own personality. So like, is anybody TikToking well?
2: Yeah, I point to a couple examples for sure. One, I think, who's been a very prominent example is uh, Katie Porter, the representative from California. Oh, sure. She, Yeah, I mean, she's anyway sort of a mainstay of viral clips from House hearings, which are not generally the most exciting things on Earth. Right. But, you know, she has a very distinct and thorough speaking style. She has all her visual aids, her yeah, charts and Yeah, she's really crafts. good with a whiteboard. Exactly. Yeah. And she's taken that to TikTok in a really, really solid and smart way.
0: According to this chart, what is the biggest driver of inflation during the pandemic? The blue is the the dark blue is the recent period.
2: It would be corporate profits.
0: And what is that percentage?
2: It
1: is 54 percent. And that number does stay that level of high. I
2: think... think you have a very instructive example in Pennsylvania, too, on both sides with uh, <laughs> John Fetterman and uh, Dr. Oz on the platform. You know,
0: I do feel like if if people have largely been trying to ignore this stuff in general, like they've still probably heard about the Fetterman, Dr. Oz situation in Pennsylvania. I feel like, that, like the, oh, yeah. the social media fight of that is one of the big stories of these midterms.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Fetterman has been shitposting a lot, his campaign. <laughs> yeah. And part of that, you know, he was recovering for a little bit after his stroke. So he took yeah. his campaign digital and it seemed very effective. You know, he had a lot of like very smart zings at Oz. But now uh, Oz has also countered with his own savvy little digital operation. And that seems to be helping to narrow the race between them as we go into next week. So it's fascinating to see that play out.
0: It is really interesting, in part because, like, these examples are all people that have been doing it well, right? Like, who's is there anybody that you've noticed, like, getting it wrong or, I guess, trying <laughs> and failing in an interesting way?
2: Yeah, I can definitely point to one prominent example of someone who seemed like they were getting a promising start in the app and then kind of let it slide, which is John Ossoff, the senator from Georgia. Oh, yeah. You know, already just because he's young and in a Senate full of very, very old people, um, he already kind of had like that youthful sheen to him. And he got on TikTok very early on. And I noticed that he was getting a pretty big uh, reception on the platform just in terms of, you know, talking about the issues, promoting his party and himself and what he's doing for Georgia. But he hasn't really posted very much since last year. And since last year. Yeah. And wow. maybe part of that is he's not up for re-election yet, like his um Senate colleague Raphael Warnock. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's a missed opportunity. Like I think you should probably still be using one of the most important social networks in the world to get out your message and make yourself a public figure as much as possible, especially as our politics continue to get very, very strange.
0: I mean, obviously, like the big issue in general online and across social media, not just about TikTok, um, but obviously TikTok also plays into this is misinformation, right? So a few weeks ago, NYU, along with the nonprofit Global Witness, published a study where they attempted to submit ads on TikTok with election misinformation, and 90 percent of the ads were approved I mean, like, we didn't do this study, but, I mean, do you think it really is that bad on TikTok?
2: I, sadly, I don't have that much doubt. I mean, one, just because the platform is just not well-regulated, and that's true for social media writ large, but especially TikTok in particular, because when people have tended to focus on TikTok, uh, like, legislators or lawmakers or others, like, they're mostly focusing on the China aspect of it, right? They're like, oh, That's is true, uh, yeah. Chinese intelligence, you know, coming to uh, swarm inside your kids' minds? And, and I mean, there are definitely legitimate concerns about whether the Communist Party is, you know, gathering data. But I mean, there are lots of other concerns to be had with TikTok, right? right? <laughs> I mean, it's still a place where a lot of what's I think known as like the mainstream or the establishment media or politics is just not. On right now. Right. Yeah. Like, um, you know, the Washington Post famously has like a very uh, snazzy TikTok account, but you can't (laughs) say that about most uh, major outlets. Um, And I think uh, speaking of the Washington Post, I think they recently noted that only 34 percent of Democratic politicians and candidates, plus plus 12 percent of Republican candidates are even on the app at all. Right. So, you know, it's still a very low number compared with, you know, whom we might traditionally think of as our information sources. And I mean, I think you could just point to the johnny depp amber heard trial oh, for God. an example of just how dark it can really get on there and what happens when there isn't even a slight system of checking for other people plus harassment campaigns right like early on in covid there were nurses talking yeah. about what to do and then you'd have all these uh anti-lockdown uh protesters trying to hound them off so it's it 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 can get very ugly on there for sure. And I think that just mandates all the more need for oversight and also participation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that in general, I also believe it can be that bad. But TikTok for me also seems to be the harder one to see some of that, or, or rather the, the one where I run into some of those things the least, right? Like, I feel like TikTok, more than some of the other apps and social media stuff, like, no two TikTok feeds are alike, right? And that's true for all of these things, because we choose what to follow. But, you know, it's like, we also know that Instagram and Facebook have been kind of purposefully showing us a lot of things that you don't want to see for a while, right? So mm-hmm. TikTok, at least for me, like, feels like it's the one that's most based on The combination of the things I've genuinely expressed interest in and some super smart algorithm that notices when I swipe a half a second later than I did previously. Like, you know, it's it definitely feels more tied to those things for me. And so with the between the disinformation and the like trying to reach voters, it just feels like you have no real sense of what people are actually seeing or what's reaching them.
2: Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. I mean, that app is also meant to just keep you scrolling, right? It's always meant to keep you discovering. It's also meant to keep you going all the time. It's meant to put these other people in your feed who you may have never heard of. And, you know, that can be a good thing for discovery. It can also be a really horrible thing. It is very eclectic, I think, in how people perceive it and how people use it and what their feeds look like. And I think that's, frankly, all the more reason to be concerned about the uh, potential misinformation. I mean, we've seen what's happened on YouTube with the algorithm just constantly surfacing extremely right-wing content, even if you're just like watching recap of a presidential debate, Right. And I think you can definitely see that very much on TikTok as well. Like I, you know, when I've been following certain politicians, uh, then all of a sudden I might get a video from Ben Shapiro, which is maybe not exactly what I was looking for.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I am not usually looking for Ben Shapiro either. Um, But speaking of that, does remind me we need to talk about the Maga contingent, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, and they are definitely growing emboldened online, as it were. I mean, so what are you seeing there as you're covering these issues?
2: It's concerning. There, there's always been, you know, a MAGA contingent of TikTok from, you know, the moment the app started really picking up steam here.
0: Yeah, and totally.
2: And it's hard when, frankly, I mean, you know, there, there are obviously problems on both sides of the political divide with regard to, you know, inappropriate videos or misleading information. But I mean, you can definitely pinpoint the MAGA contingent as like the one that's single handedly devoted to propping up all this um, just false information about the 2020 election, about these upcoming elections, and about just in general, what Um, the country is going through right now and you have a lot of people on there trying through various different means to really make that happen and sometimes they're getting to really dark places like there's definitely a nihilistic strain as well you know the 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 doomer contingent you know well yeah like and they're just straight up like Everything is hellish. You know, go like burn it all down anyway. It doesn't matter. So you have all these sort of crisscrossing, much more reactionary forces. And I do worry about what that'll mean in the long term for the app. Yeah. Yeah. As of right now, a lot of studies still show that TikTok has a pretty like liberal user base. And that for the most part, you know, the videos that will get shared are like, Oh, yeah, check out a uh, check out my garden, but um,
0: or like a really rude emu.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, a really rude emu, corn, yeah, n- n- name it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and increasingly though, you are getting these scenes, and they may not necessarily be overlapping with like what really breaks through in a big way on TikTok. Sometimes like the emu, but it's mm-hmm. there. It's cycling yeah. back on itself, and it's festering, and. We've already seen what happens when that sort of thing also occurs on Facebook or Twitter. So, you know, you magnify that on a video app and you you could get some really, really grody things. I mean, I don't ever recall Vine being so much of a political force as TikTok already seems to be.
0: Oh, my goodness. No. So true. All right. Look, we have to talk about the thing that I feel like people probably knew most that we'd end up having to talk about at some point which is of course twitter and not Mm. just twitter but twitter in the the era of elon yes elon musk the new owner of twitter
2: yeah i i got i gotta be honest i didn't think it would actually happen i I thought he was gonna wriggle out of it somehow and oh yeah we're here
0: here we are here here we are
2: my goodness (laughs)
0: I mean, have you already noticed anything? I will say like, you know, we're recording this episode at the end of the week because it's for Saturday. So Mm -hmm. um, Elon's officially been in charge for, you know, like just about a week or so. So like Mm -hmm. political wise, like, is there anything that you're already noticing?
2: Yeah. So so here's the thing. Twitter has a very liberal user base overall, but in both the moments when Elon Musk announced that he was gonna go for Twitter in April, and uh just last month when it actually went through, what you saw was this wholesale shift in followers for a lot of accounts. Oh. Yeah. So in April, you saw Ron DeSantis, you know, the Florida governor who some say could run in 2024, gaining almost a hundred thousand new followers. And they're like, Authentic accounts. Like it's not just like a bot army that's swarmed in. These are like people who newly signed up and oh, wow. are excited about an Elon Musk takeover. And then on the inverse end, you had Barack Obama, you know, once probably the most uh popular politician on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, losing like 30,0 000 followers. And you've seen that sort of thing happen again, just right after Elon owning things. You've seen um People like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, Jim Jordan from Ohio, both very big Trump fans who have gained thousands of new followers. Plus, you've seen others like, again, Obama or even just like liberal affiliate accounts like Ellen DeGeneres uh, losing much more followers on that end. So there definitely is. A shift happening. You know, Elon has said he wants to relax content moderation. He doesn't want to make it a free-for-all, he says, (laughs) quote-unquote. But he already is kind of catering to a lot of right-wing interests. And I think that could definitely reshape Twitter.
0: Oh, Okay, well, Twitter is woof. Um, yep. but we do need to take a break I'm enjoying this conversation even though Twitter is woof um, yeah, truly. <laughs> so, sometimes my feelings are just a sound um, so let's take a quick break and when we get back we'll be talking about the state of the right wing social networks
2: oh boy
0: and what all of this means for the future of social media Hello, new listeners. I hope you are enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. You have not actually heard the real host's voice yet. Uh, I'm filling in because she is sick, but we are still thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure that you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays on Andrew Tate and his new venture after being deplatformed online. You won't want to miss it. And we are back. I am joined by my colleague, Natish Natish. Just before the break, we were talking about Twitter and the sad, sad space that it has become and is probably going to be even further. I mean, before we talk about these right wing social networks, the thing about Twitter that I can't stop thinking about even as we get ready to talk about this is that it has been such an extra dumpster fire already for the last few weeks alone. Like even before Elon officially took over, like Rachel has mentioned it on the show, like more than once of just kind of like the vibes on Twitter are rough right now. Like for me, it feels like a bunch of people hanging out in a condemned house being like, we're just going to be as messy as possible until the bulldozer actually shows up. Like that's what being on Twitter feels like to me. What is it like in these spaces that are already reserved for the groups that people are worrying will come into Twitter and make it worse? I mean, like something like Truth Social, for instance.
2: Yeah. So definitely since the ascent of Trump to political power, you've seen so many uh, right wingers create their own little social spaces. You've seen gab you've seen getter you've seen certain discord servers you ha- now have a Trump Zone app truth social which he made um after being kicked off twitter uh you have rumble which is supposed to be a sort of alternate to youtube and th- th- there's still even more there's some that are like they say they're decentralized or they're on the blockchain whatever right. i mean it's it- it's a very strange time out there but It's like the digital tentacles of the right wing media bubble Mm -hmm. that we've already seen for so long. I mean, you saw it with Fox News and all these conservative editorial boards and papers that have now just gotten this very, very insular online presence. The thing is with that is a lot of these networks aren't that popular.
0: I mean, this is what I was wondering, like, are are you signing into some of these and like seeing what it looks like on there? It doesn't sound like they have big user bases.
2: Oh, no, not at all. In fact, actually, funny uh, story about this. I found out from our, um, you know, metrics uh, tracking system that oh. none other than Steve Bannon shared something I wrote about the upcoming Brazil elections on Getter. But this is the funny thing there weren't that many, like, referrals from Getter to the piece. Like, there were maybe <laughs> a dozen at most. Like, there were a decent number of likes, and there, you know, he posted it with, like, a, oh, the left is uh, freaking out and crying over Brazil or something right. like that. And, you know, a bunch of people replying, like, yeah, go go Bolsonaro, et cetera, et, right. et cetera. But it didn't translate into much either in the way of, like, just even like disaffected people coming for me, or even like checking out the piece to dunk on it, or comments on it, or something. So, oh wow, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah,
0: that is interesting. <laughs> I mean, like obviously, uh, Steve Bannon is a uh, huge name in that. Uh, I don't even know what to call it in that in that space. Right? In that, yeah. In that totally belief system in that whole situation. Um, but it looks like yeah, while well, he's got. Uh, Huge name recognition, we would say that he lacks engagement.
2: Right. And <laughs> I thought this is such a smart point from I, I read this Politico piece about, um, you know, I wrote I've written about Kanye buying parlor. Yes. and um, I, I read this Politico piece in um, preparation for that piece that mentioned, you know, most people don't log on to social media to talk politics. Right. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok tumblr all these spaces yeah. were supposed to be general the, like town square is not really like oh yeah come here so you can bandy about how much you love uh trump's tax returns or whatever like no most people <laughs> don't really sign on for that and yeah. if they do they usually have their own like little forums or email chains where they uh make memes talking about how Obama is giving people right. phones, but yeah, their Facebook yeah.
0: groups or things like that. Right. For yeah, sure. exactly.
2: Yeah. Facebook yeah. groups. So but yeah, so trying to make like a whole social network out of what is essentially a Facebook group is is kind of a tall endeavor. <laughs> but I mean there are some spaces that have found success in this field. I mean, Rumble is one notable example of a place. You know, it's a video alternative to youtube and it's gotten like all sorts of people on there like including like glenn greenwald who you know formerly a very famous left stalwart who now is yeah who now Mm -hmm. is going on there defending i don't know alex jones or whomever but yeah so and that one is generally in more as like okay here is where you can talk freely without you know all this uh, censorship and cancel culture coming your way, right? And so that that leads to all sorts of varied things. It's not just like hardcore right wing uh, product on there. Whereas like in True Social and parlor and Gab, it's like just neo Nazis and slurs, uh, whatever. Whatever the worst your mind can imagine is likely on there. Um wow. But the, all that being said. One thing to be concerned about with those platforms is that even if their audiences are not like huge, yeah, they are activated and they are mobilized and they are right. like organized on there. So you've started to see like there's this whole uh, Republican conspiracy regarding uh, election fraud. And they're getting people on these networks to go out and patrol drop boxes, other polling places to make sure there's no, quote unquote, fraud. And, you know, there are a lot of these people who are very aggressive. They may be armed. And it's it's deliberately an intimidation tactic. Right. And what's more is that you see a lot of these people um, targeting like specific localities that will be key for the election. You know, they're doing it in. Yeah michigan and pennsylvania and arizona which are states that have extremely decisive races where voters will decide you know same in georgia and they're targeting certain counties certain clerks certain people you know trying to run them out it's that's the very ugly thing that i think concerns me most about uh this upcoming midterms and already you also have politicians who are promoting these apps like um Pennsylvania's Republican uh, nominee for governor, Doug Mastriano, um, was found to have a reportedly paid uh, gab, the very Nazi inflected platform for uh, uh, endorsements, for follower, all all that sort of thing. And then you have um, Carrie Lake, who may just become governor of Arizona, who's, you know, hardcore Trump fan, who thinks the election was stolen. T- telling people at our rallies, "Hey, come, uh, come to Truth Social. We'll, uh, right, I'll, I'll see right. you there." So, yeah. that is what increasingly concerns me, and that's going. Then, those are all going to be places where people are just exposed to the same mush over and over again right yeah,
0: yeah. and
2: it's and like going it's to there finish. but
0: if, if mm-hmm. you don't want to engage with it it's like you may not realize how bad it's actually getting
2: right in terms it, that's of the what thing. they're talking
0: about yeah and yeah. like
2: which is why for me like the worry about social media in the midterms is really a lot less whatever musk is doing with twitter right now mm-hmm. as opposed to what these platforms are telling their users to do and say as well as you know what information they're feeding them for the long run because you know we we've reached a point uh, we've reached such a strange inflection point with social media right like yeah facebook is losing influencers and money you know it's it's got this whole competition with TikTok. instagram is losing out as well there and they're trying to copy TikTok, and it's no one's happy about that no. twitter we've already discussed has long been in decline and yeah. so you know, the main platforms that you could almost see is like the social media monoculture are splintering themselves, right? Yeah. You know, in another time, you could talk about like, oh, uh, check out the Arab Spring uh, r- um, protesters uh, organizing yeah. on Facebook.
0: I mean, it really is it makes a difference what 10 years will do, because like 10 years ago, it was like the Internet will help people find each other and be able to do things like organize a necessary uprising Mm -hmm. or, you know, a revolution or any of this like big political stuff that we were seeing happen uh, in other places. And now it feels like the just we we've completely gone the opposite direction. Like the the bigger fear is much, much more the misinformation and the ability for, I mean, I guess dangerous people to, or people who have dangerous ideas and a desire to act on them is probably maybe a better way to describe that. Like meeting in their own kind of separate spaces where we, you know, again, we can't access those spaces if we wanted to, but like, we're not going to really want to. And so we won't realize how far along they're getting.
2: Right. And it's like we've come also a long way from like when Stormfront was like a small forum site in the 90s, whatever, wow. to yeah. now like, you know, you have these very big pocketed interests who are investing in these platforms. You know, the very famous conservative commentator, Dan Bongino, you know, yep. has been investing in these networks, Um rebecca mercer of the very influential mercer family has been pouring in money into parlor and all these other accounts like the money to like cultivate these networks is there and that's what i think people really need to be watching out for like increasingly you know the the old axiom goes twitter is not real life right but (laughs) a lot of these other places also are not real life but they do have very real world consequences. And yes, that's what exactly. I'm really watching out for coming up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is there any way that we can escape it? Like, do you have any? <laughs> do you have any hope? let give us some hope. It's almost the end. Yeah, yeah. Some hope. It,
2: it, it is. Yeah, that was a very depressing <laughs> note. Um, <laughs> maybe I will say this. I do think that when it comes to Twitter, There has been enough of a community among different, like, interest groups of people with shared ideological underpinnings and such that I have a strong feeling someone's going to come along and try to make, like, an actual viable network for such communities. And whether it, you know, just uh, moves to Substack or moves to some other, like, new, I don't know, decentralized platform someone comes up with, like... Yeah. You know, there, there will be such spaces. It It's going to take time. But where there's demand, you know, something will happen. And when it comes to some of these right-wing networks, like, they're just not doing that well. Like, there's a reason they wanted to sell off Parlour to Kanye. And uh, Truth Social, drums uh, platform is also just bleeding money. The stock on it is very low. And I would truly not be shocked if, like, Trump sees that like the monetary worth of his favorite platform is uh, going down and now he sees that Elon Musk uh, is in charge of Twitter. So maybe he'll want to go back there. Who, right. who knows? Right. Right.
0: And and uh, that's one of the concerns a lot of people have is that mm-hmm. uh, Elon and, and company will allow 45 back onto the platform.
2: <laughs> right. And I mean, the thing is, like, I think this has underscored the need to really regulate these platforms. Right like we need to actually like have certain public standards we need to decide what we want like our conversational spaces to be there's all sorts of stuff out there but i think politicians are now finally getting to a place where they're increasingly skeptical of these platforms and i think that's a good thing and i really really hope they actually finally take some action instead of just like calling Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey up to testify.
0: Oh, my God. And then asking them questions that don't even make sense half the time because they don't understand the technology.
2: Those exactly. Very <laughs>
0: uncomfortable hearings. <laughs> I mean, again,
2: most of these people are not on TikTok. They, they don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Natish.
2: Thanks, Daisy. I'm looking forward to Taking a little break from the stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think as soon as the midterms are done, I'm just going to go full Mariah and like commit to Christmas. Beautiful. Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday. So definitely subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode. Also, please leave a rating and a review in Apple or Spotify or, you know, wherever else and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at icymi_pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, oh my goodness, will social media definitely become an even bigger trash fire under new ownership? You can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com.
2: ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's Vice President of Audio. See you online.
1: Or not.